We uh, started a new series last weekend about winning the spiritual battle. We're going to specifically look at the fact that we are in a spiritual battle, but for us to know who we serve and to know the kingdom we are a part of, okay? So last week, we got to know the enemy's kingdom and who was in charge. This week, we're going to say who do we serve, who's in charge, and what does the kingdom look like that we're a part of? And this is important because we are in a spiritual realm that we often ignore because we use these, our natural eyes and our natural ears, and we miss out. We forget that there is something spiritual going on all around us, and God doesn't want us to just ignore it. Now, obviously, each of us here, if you are a Christian, we serve the Lord Jesus, and we are a part of his kingdom. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. It says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. You see, those are two terms that maybe aren't politically correct today and maybe two terms you don't necessarily like, but I'll tell you this, we are called to serve the Lord, and when you call somebody Lord, you're calling the master. In other words, you're saying, they are the ones that I will follow, they're the ones I'll obey, they're the ones I'll give my life to. You know what? I do not have a problem calling Jesus my master, because he is a master who chose to give his life in my place. Why would you not want to serve someone like that? Why would you not want to give everything for him? As the song said, nothing is a sacrifice for the one who gave his life for me. You know, as we serve him, we need to be willing to give of ourselves to him, our master. Listen to John 1, verse 1 to 4. We're going to talk about who we serve and his kingdom. And Jesus was here from the beginning. Last week, we specifically talked about Satan and the fact that he was in heaven at one time. But today, we're looking at Christ. And in the beginning, the word already existed. Oh, there you go. Look at that. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. And then also verse 14 of the same chapter, just go down a bit. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So the Lord Jesus Christ was here from the beginning. You've heard of the three in one, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, the Son, or the Word, Christ, was there from the beginning, part of God. That's why Scripture says when he came to earth, he came, he was God in the flesh. And he was there, part of creation. He is the image of God in human form. That's why when his disciples asked him, 
Well, how do we know what the Father is? Who the Father is? What does he look like? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was the very image of God in the flesh. And he was there from the beginning. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. You see, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. And it's real. Again, last week we talked a little bit about <clears throat> the enemy's kingdom and its reality. Today I want to look at God's kingdom and how real it is. It is a spiritual kingdom. It is a kingdom of angels, a kingdom of heavenly things that we can't see with our natural eyes. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 to 23. I want you to look at a story here in 2 Kings about God's kingdom and its reality. 2 Kings 6 and verse 8 to 23. Actually, I'm going to just tell you that story because... Uh, that's what I want to do because it's a bit of a long one. But you can find it if you're wanting to know where it is there in 2 Kings 6. This is the story of Elisha and his servant. Now, Elisha was a prophet in the Old Testament. And in this part, part of the scripture, the Lord was speaking to Elisha what the enemy would do. And he'd tell Elisha, the enemy uh, king and his army, they're going to camp over here. They're going to try to ambush Go tell your king, the king of Israel, don't go that way. So Elisha would do that, and he'd keep doing that. And finally, the enemy king went to his top people, and he said, who's the spy among us? Who's telling them everything? And they told him, there's no spy. There's this prophet guy named Elisha king, and he tells them the things you say in your bedroom that nobody knows. In other words, he somehow knows, and the enemy king got a little bit upset, and he said, get the army together. We're going to go get this guy, Elisha. We're going to go get him. And so they came. They surrounded the uh, town, the village where he was. They surrounded it, and in the morning when they got up, the servant went out, and he saw an entire army surrounding their town, and he became afraid. But Elisha, in verse 16, said, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant looked, what do you mean? And Elisha then said, God, open his eyes so that he can see. In other words, he was praying, open his eyes to see what's really happening in the spirit. Because he saw in the natural, but he did not see in the spirit. And God opened the servant's eyes and it said he looked around and there were chariots of fire and angels all around, a large number. And he got to see what was happening in the spirit. And then Elisha said to the leader of this army, you're in the wrong place. Follow me. I'll take you where you need to go. God blinded their minds. In other words, they had no clue what they were doing. They followed the guy they were going to capture into the main city where they were all captured and sent home. You see, this is a spiritual battle. Now you're thinking, well, how could he see chairs of fire and angels? They're all there, and yet nobody died of the enemy, but their minds were changed. Did you know the spiritual battle is real? An entire country 
can have their minds changed in the spirit. And the enemy can use that for his games as well. But the Holy Spirit in God's kingdom is real. There's a story that I want to read to you about God's kingdom and about the fact that angels are real. You know, that the uh, saying, there are more with us than with them. Remember when the devil left, he took a third of the angels. That means there's two-thirds still with God. There literally are more with us than with them. But angels are most definitely real, and they're real here today. Listen to a story. It's just a few years ago this story happened. And it's a story about a young lady named Samita. It says, Samita was born into a family in India who belongs to the lowest social class, the untouchables. At a young age, her parents sold her into religious prostitution with the local priests of an ancient religion. Samita was trained as a diva Desi. According to this ancient religion, this meant it was her duty to serve the priests and men of the town as a temple prostitute. Samita cried every day, and because of her tears, she was beaten to the point that she was blinded in one eye. She knew she had no chance of escape because if she were caught, she would be killed. Samita believed she was trapped in this terrible life. One night, Samita was on her way to the temple shrine where she was trying to prepare herself for an upcoming ritual. On the way, she ran into a woman she had never seen before who stopped her and handed her a small card. On that card was a picture of Jesus and an address that Samita did not recognize. The woman told Samita, this man can save you and protect you from the temple priests. Confused, Samita entered the temple shrine to the local goddess, hoping that this woman was right and that someone could help her. And as she approached the idol, she was stopped by a fiery angel who appeared in front of the idol. The angel frightened everyone so that the temple priests instantly collapsed. Then the angel spoke to Samita. He called her by name and told her to follow him. Amazed, she listened and followed the fiery angel through the streets of the town where no one tried to stop her. She and the angel finally arrived at the train station where the angel disappeared right before her eyes. She raced to the spot where the angel had last stood and found a ticket to take a train to a city called Hyderabad. Samita took the ticket and got on the train to the city where she knew no one. When she arrived, she began to ask about the address that was written on the back of the card that the stranger had given her right before she saw the angel. She got directions and found herself at a Christian mission house. The house's mission was to help save untouchable girls who had been sold into prostitution and slavery. The women there immediately welcomed the weary girl and gave her a home. It was there that Samita found Jesus, the man who had saved her, and it was there that God sent her another miracle. About four months after she moved in, the girls were praying for one another in the morning prayer. And as the girls prayed, Samita felt a warmth in her blind eye. As the prayer ended, she opened both eyes and discovered her sight had been restored. You see, God's kingdom is real. Angels are among us right now. But yet, so often, we live as though everything is only natural. And we try to fight in the natural, and we try to change things in the natural only. If we do that, we will fail. 
We need to be aware of the spiritual. We need to move in the spiritual. And we need to do what Christ has asked us to do. Now, so if we want to win in this spiritual battle, we need to remember who we serve, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to remember we are part of his kingdom. Remember Christ said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Do you remember that? You and I are part of a kingdom that will win. What is Christ's goal or purpose with this kingdom, with us? Because if we've chosen to serve him as our master, then his goals and purpose have become ours. Do you understand that? So it is easy to know what our purpose is and what our goal should be as a Christian. Anyone as your master, you've said, I'm joining your cause. I'll do whatever you ask. Christ's goals and purpose. Now, we could preach on this probably for months, but let me just give you a few. Some of the bigger ones. John 10, verse 10. It says, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich satisfying life, to give them life more abundantly, it says in one version. That is Christ's purpose, to give people an abundant life. That also becomes our purpose. Another one of Christ's purposes or goals is in 1 John 3, verse 8. It says, but when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. One of his purposes then is to destroy the works of Satan. What does that mean for you and I? One of our purposes is to destroy the works of the devil. I don't know. I kind of like that. But we'll get in there. You'll, you'll feel more excited later, I think. Some of you are like, I don't know. It's 9 a.m. or, well, it's past 9 now. Should we really get into a battle? Hey, we're in a spiritual battle all the time, whether we like it or not. And God wants us to be aware. All right, another one of Christ's purpose or goals for coming to earth and what he wants to do with his kingdom is in Luke 4, 18 to 19. And Christ is reading here from Isaiah. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. You see, Christ said, I am coming. I am going to see captives released. Blind people will see and the oppressed will be set free. We spoke last time about the difference between someone being possessed and someone being oppressed. You see, the devil tries to Possess people, that's where a spirit actually enters someone and controls them. But there's also people who are oppressed. And that is where the devil constantly barges their mind and lies to them and tells them things and affects their very life. And even a Christian can be oppressed by the enemy, especially if they choose to only see in the natural and not deal with what's happening in the spiritual. The oppression will continue because the enemy, obviously, that we have against us loves to stay hidden so nobody will do anything. Worse than that, he loves to hide behind somebody close to you so you'll fight them instead. But he's a liar. 
And we talked about him last week. Let's, let's stay on the good stuff here. Christ Jesus came to heal, restore, and save. And you and I also get to play a part in healing, restoring, and seeing people saved. John 3, 16, you can't not read this if you're going to talk about Christ's purpose on earth, can you? It's just, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whatever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, his purpose is to transform broken lives. His purpose is to redeem people back to the Father. There are so many healings and restorations that we've seen over the years, many even right here in this church. People's backs healed. People uh, have jobs come as they've prayed. People who are unable to conceive, conceiving, just miracles continually, but there is nothing greater than seeing people accept Christ and have their lives changed. In each of the services, someone came and accepted Christ. And I want to tell you about it because you guys are a part of it. You see, each of us plays a part in salvation. When that person comes from the community and walks in here, you're here worshiping, allowing God's presence to flow. You're here as a smiling face. You're here as someone to talk with them or communicate with them. You're here as a friendly face. Someone came in off the street and I'm the only one in here. It's not going to be a service. And as a matter of fact, they come in and sit there and nobody's here on time. They might think, I think I'm going to go home. But here you guys are. You make this possible. You're here on time early being a part of what God is doing. You're making a place for people to feel safe and to hear. Every one of us plays a part. You see, each service... God has asked us to do for a reason. You see, we're not just here for us. Yes, when we come and his presence is there, it's going to minister to us. It's going to fill us up. But you who are mature believers, you're here for others. You need to be awake in the spirit. What's going on when you see that person come through that you don't know? You should be in prayer for them and asking, is there something I can do to help them move forward? Because we are in a spiritual battle, and it is a spiritual battle for their souls. You see, every week we have new people come through here. And what I need you to understand is that there is a spiritual battle going on for their souls. Did you know that when you invite someone to church, there's immediately a spiritual battle for that person? And the old enemy is going to try to throw whatever he can to them. He's going to find a way to stop them from coming. He's going to discourage them. He's going to try to keep them busy. He's going to tire them out. He's going to cause a fight between them and their spouse if they're married. He is going to do whatever he can to stop them from accepting Christ. Do you understand when you invite someone to come to church, you have entered a battle for their soul if they're not yet saved? So after you invite somebody, you need to begin to pray for them. You need to begin to pray in the spirit for what's going about to happen. You need to pray against the enemy trying to discourage them and distract them. You need to pray against every attack to keep them from their destiny of accepting Christ. And when you call them to see if they're still coming, 
They say, well, I, you know, I, my kids didn't eat yet. You tell them no problem, we'll buy them McDonald's. You don't let the enemy win. And when you call them again, they well, my car won't start. No problem, I'll drive you. You are battling for someone's soul when they are unsaved. I need us to get it. Don't quit and be in prayer. Don't just look in the natural, but keep your eyes open in the spirit. So as we serve God, we need to understand what are the strategies that we use to win this battle. Now, I just told you one of them to begin with is prayer. And I want you to know that you begin to pray for people and you begin to call out to the Lord to see them come. The enemy uses things like division and disunity and he can get you upset. Maybe you're thinking of inviting someone who's unsaved and instead he just gets you upset so you don't go. Or he gets someone to talk to you and they share kind of a half-truth rumor so now you're upset at somebody else at church so you don't know if you want to go there and sit with them. You just know half the story and the old enemy is just working it. Hey, you throw that aside and you say, I don't care if everybody in my church isn't perfect. I want to see people saved. Because if you're looking for a church full of perfect people, there's no such church. There isn't. You know, maybe if you decide to just do online church with just yourself at home, maybe you'll have a perfect church. I don't know. But if there's two of you there, the church won't be perfect for long. Let's be real. Are we here for perfection or for just us, or are we here to see God's kingdom come and his will be done right here in Slave Lake? That takes work. That takes battle. And that takes unselfish people willing to put aside their differences and say, let's win. Let's win. And one of those strategies that Christ used and that we're supposed to use is prayer. Matthew 14, 23. Matthew 14, 23, it says Jesus was saying this, after sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. And night fell while he was there alone. And Luke 6, verse 12, I'm going to give you a few verses about how much Christ prayed. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Look at Luke 9, 28. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. Now, the thing I want you to see about Christ was that he prayed lots, but I also want you to understand a little bit about prayer. This isn't a message on prayer, but I need you to see Jesus, when he went to prayer, wasn't going with his wish list. Sometimes we treat prayer like the Santa Claus list of what we want. And we do it one-sided. God, I want this, I need this, and I want this fixed. Amen. And when he doesn't do it for us the next day, we're like, God doesn't answer prayer. I don't know why I pray. That is not the purpose of prayer. You see, faith in what God wants is what brings the necessary things and the needs. Prayer is a time to commune with God, and when Christ prayed, he went there for direction, 
for God's presence to bring him the strength he needed for refueling. It was not a one-way, give me, give me conversation, and neither should ours be. John 5, verse 19, listen. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does. When did Jesus take time to see what the father was doing? In prayer. In prayer. Listen to John 12, 49. I don't speak on my own authority. The father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. When did he hear the father telling him what to say and how to say it? In prayer. Church, I want to encourage you, take time to talk to the Lord and then take time to listen the way you hear. If you're going to go to prayer, maybe you need to be in a private spot like Christ did. He purposely picked private places away from the crowd so he could talk to the Father. And he'd pray and he'd hear and he'd get direction Maybe you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed and talked to his father. In that one, he was saying, oh, this plan you have, this cup of suffering I have to take, it is a lot, I don't know, but your will be done, not mine. And it said angels came and ministered to him, great drops of blood and sweat coming from him. You see, when he went to prayer, he went to hear from God. He went to get himself filled and restored. You and I need to do the same. Too often as Christians, our prayer life has come to the point of we have the three things we've listed and bless our food, amen. But he wants to talk to you. He wants to give you direction. He wants to show you what he's doing in this season right now. Christ wants to show you and I what he is doing right now in this craziness in our world. He wants to show you what you should do and what you should say. And if you choose to fight in the natural, you're going to do damage, not good. What is Christ saying? Just recently, we had a time of prayer, my family and I, and uh, my wife and I were actually in the bedroom and we were on the bed just talking and our girls came in so it ended up being a prayer meeting on the bed (laughs) and the girls are at the foot of the bed and we were sitting there I said you know I think we need to pray let's take some time to pray you know we've been through some things let's just pray and I said I know everybody's feeling a little discouraged disappointed but I'll pray but I want you guys to join and I said here's how we're going to pray today and I don't usually do this but I felt to I said When we pray, I want you to close your eyes and picture that we're walking into the room where the Lord Jesus is and he's sitting in his chair, whatever that looks like to you. I said, it doesn't matter what it looks like to you. You can picture this room or maybe you picture a fancy room, doesn't matter. I said, but let's do that so that we're not daydreaming all over the place, but we're actually focusing on the Lord when we pray. So I asked everybody to do that. I said, again, I'm going to pray and you guys can just... Just have your mind on that and see whatever the Lord wants to show you. And so as we did that, we prayed, and as we were praying, I saw we're all standing there in front of the Lord, and he just came right up, and he was putting his arms around us, just comforting everyone, and I thought, well, that's, that's definitely what the Lord would do. And then as we were there, he kind of turned, and he started giving us gifts. And I remember thinking, well, that's odd. 
Because, you see, I went to prayer hoping he would tell me something I needed to hear. And instead, he's giving us gifts. And I didn't really quite understand it, but I'm like, I guess it doesn't have to be Christmas or your birthday or anything for God. He's your father. He loves you. And so we prayed a little more, and then we finished, and I told the girls and wife, this is what I felt and saw. I don't really understand it, but that's how good God is. And I told everybody, I said, that's really good. And, of course, our girls are always listening and watching with prayer. And they're at that age where they want to know, does God really do things when you ask? He really does. The next day, the very next day, I was in Canadian Tire and I had one of my daughters with me. And my wife had a little project that I wanted to do for her. It was our fireplace. We're going to change it and build a fancy mantle that you mount on the fireplace. And I realized to do that, I'm going to need a chop saw because there's too many angles to try to use a skill saw. I'm a framer from way back. You can use a skill saw for almost anything, but not fancy work. And I, I knew that the fancy chop saws were on for half price at Canadian Tire, so I went down there. I was looking at my bank account and the budget, and I don't, I don't know if I can do this, but I thought, I, I have no choice. Like, I really want to do this, and they're on half price. So I grabbed this massive box, this big fancy chop saw, put it on a cart, kind of balanced there. I grabbed some other things, threw them in the cart, and uh, headed up to the till. And we were at the till. There was somebody ahead of us, and they're getting their stuff, and they had chatted with me a bit. I knew who they were. And uh, they finished their stuff, and this person reaches back. They grab my cart, and they pull it up there, and they say, tell her we're getting everything here too. And they pay for everything in our cart. And chop sales are not cheap. Yeah, I was saying, what? And I remember thinking, why is this person doing this? And apparently I have a face that shows everything I'm thinking because the person finished paying and they looked and they said, I guess it's pastor appreciation again. And they laughed. And as we walked out the store, I looked at my daughter and said, do you know what this is? This is that prayer we prayed last night. This is God just saying, because I want to give you something. Because I love you. God is that good. But I shared that story because God wants you to take time in prayer to hear him. He wants you to take time in prayer to let him show you things. To show you how to walk. To show you what to say. Because he's good. And he loves you so very much. Prayer. Let's not leave it undone. This is a season we definitely need to hear what he wants us to do. This is a season where we need to allow him to restore us and give us peace in a time where there isn't a lot of peace. Speaking and teaching with authority is one of Christ's strategies, and it should be one of ours. Let me just read one story out of Mark 1. Mark 1, 21. Then they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had convulsed him and, cri and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. 
Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. One of our strategies for winning this battle is declaring what God has spoken to you, what he's spoken in his word, and declaring it with authority. I can't go into that more. I'm going to do an entire message on your authority in this battle. So get ready for that. But let's move forward here. Another strategy, and it's very important actually in this battle, in the spiritual battle, it's giving and blessing others with love. Listen to Matthew 5.44. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. This is part of how you win the battle. Romans 12.17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. But instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you. But conquer evil by doing good. This is one of our weapons, one of our strategies. Do good. Do good. Do what Christ would have you do, and you win a spiritual battle. 1 John 3.16, we know that real love, what real love is, because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to give? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to see others come? Scripture says in Luke 9, 23, take up your cross daily and follow me. This is not a selfish gospel. I don't want to go into that because I got to finish. You and I are called to serve Christ and be a part of his kingdom. In John 18, 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. We are a part of something far greater than just this earth. And friends, we win. This eternal kingdom has already been victorious. So do not get tangled up in the craziness and the anger and the frustration of our time. The kingdom you are in is a heavenly kingdom, and it is not confused. It is not losing. And it will not be overcome. Woo, you can clap for that. That is good. You can wake up every morning. Say, I win. I am victorious. doesn't matter what restriction is next or what's going on. I win because the kingdom I'm a part of is already victorious. I want to end with this scripture in Mark 10, 14, and 15. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples, and he said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never 
enter in. But this verse says we need faith like a child to enter his kingdom. In other words, we don't go by our eyes, we go by what he said. When you tell a child something, they believe it. When I tell our kids, especially when they were younger, I mean, if you tell them something, they automatically believe it. you got to be careful. If you're joking with them, you tell them it was a joke before too long. They believe everything you tell them. God wants us to believe what he tells us because he's not going to lie to us. He's not going to tell us something that's false. But to enter his kingdom, you must believe what he told you, and then you just do it by faith. You don't have to understand it completely. You don't have to figure it out with your brain. You've got to just believe like a child. If you are willing to do that, God will use you mightily in his kingdom. He will use you beyond your wildest dreams. For many of you, he is using you in some way already, but he has even more he wants to do. So I want to encourage you to enter into that kingdom more in this coming week and as we proceed forward. We are in a world that needs believers who are aware in the spirit and who know how to pray in the spirit. So I'm going to pray with you as you're seated, and then I'm going to have one of our other pastors close us off. I'm just going to pray over you that God would open your spiritual eyes and your spiritual ears, that the natural wouldn't take over, okay? So that's what I'm going to pray. Obviously, if you want that, if you, if you don't, that's okay. I'm not going to force you, but bow with me, and I'm going to pray right now, and then I'll have uh, Pastor Brendan come and close us. So Lord, we pray right now for each person, each believer here. As earlier, they each said they are believers. Lord, we pray that you would open their eyes in the Spirit. Lord, that you would open their ears in the Spirit. Lord, that there be some here that would have dreams of your spiritual kingdom. Many have had nightmares, and that's the enemy trying to open their spiritual up to the evil side of things. But Lord, we declare they would have dreams of your kingdom. Your kingdom here on earth, your kingdom in heaven. Lord, that they would see it and feel it. We pray, Lord, that people would have open vision during the day of your kingdom, just like Elisha's servant did. Lord, we pray that we would not be bound in the natural, but that we would be open to hearing your spirit, and we would be like children, and we would say yes when you show us, and we would step out. Lord, I thank you for victory. I thank you for your people being powerful and mighty in the spirit. I thank you the enemy runs when he sees your people. For they submit to you and they resist him and he flees. We declare this in Jesus' name. Amen.